If you're like us, your marriage has gone through some ups and downs over the years. And our guests today, Trey and Melody Lovern, went through some serious challenges in their marriage, including a battle with sex addiction that led to a divorce and a six-year separation that was restored when they were remarried. And now they help other men and women restore their hearts and their relationships. If you're feeling more like roommates than soulmates, it's time for the Legendary Marriage Podcast. This is episode 62 of the Legendary Marriage Podcast, and we're your hosts, Danielle and Justin Williams. Every week, we're bringing you inspiration, encouragement, and of course, a challenge to help you build more intimacy and connection in your marriage. Hey, y'all, we just want to take a moment to give you the heads up. All this month, we're going to be talking about sex And we're going to be doing it from several different perspectives. We've got some phenomenal guests sharing their stories and their expertise. And we just want you to have an opportunity to get inspired, to have a conversation with your spouse about these topics. We don't care what you do with it or don't do with it. So long as you and your spouse have a chance to have conversations that matter so you can get on the same page and build more intimacy and connection. And that's why we're doing all of this. In this episode, Trey and Melody share their story about how Trey, at a very young age, was addicted to porn and how that affected their marriage. So we'll dive into porn and its effect on their story and also the healing that they went through on the other side. Now, we don't know where you land on the topic of pornography, but we'll share where we are. One, I think it is completely unfruitful as far as building healthy relationships. Two, it creates a false sense of intimacy for men and women. And three, it is the symptom of a lack of intimacy, of knowing yourself and being known by others. In essence, pornography is not the enemy of marriage. Isolation is. Pornography is a symptom of a sense of isolation. I know Justin and I, from time to time, definitely do struggle with isolation in our marriage. And Trey and Melody really just have this beautiful story of how uh, isolation and porn and sex addiction had driven a wedge in their marriage. And they did the hard, hard work of restoring their hearts and their marriage. We were so blessed to have them on the show today. So let's just listen in on our conversation with Trey and Melody Lovern. Y'all have a crazy story to share about the ups and downs of marriages and and how it even started at a super young age um, before y'all even met. Do you want to share a little bit of that story with us? Uh, yeah, I'll I'll start since that's probably the young age was probably more on on my end as far as the brokenness. Um, but yeah, I was um, I was exposed to pornography when I was eight years old, and so growing up in a small town where everybody knew everybody uh, in the church, you know, if the church doors were open, we were there. And what nobody knew though is that I had this secret, and um, and I was battling that secret in in silence. Uh, so that nobody would have to know, protect my reputation, protect God's reputation. And um, ultimately started preaching in high school, which then it got even more important uh, to stop this bad behavior. And, and that was the thing that drove my shame is I knew it was wrong. And my paradigm was to know better equals to do better. And willpower and discipline was not fixing the problem. 
And all I needed to do was to stuff it deeper and to continue. To, and But all that, uh, and again, I didn't know this at that time, but through my own recovery, looking back, it was just this enormous amount of shame, this fundamental belief that there was something wrong with me. And um, everybody else had it together. One, because nobody else was talking about this problem, so I must be the only one. Mm. And um, so I just continued uh, alone and isolated uh, to try to fix this problem. And it's kind of like a, I tell the story a lot, it's almost like a beach ball. You know, the kids in the summertime, you know, trying to keep the beach ball underwater and playing the game. And eventually it's going to come shooting to the surface. And, but, and it takes a lot of energy to try to keep it all at bay. And looking back, there was so much energy in my life to keep the secret, to manage the reputation. Um, I started preaching, as I mentioned, by the time I graduated high school, I'd probably uh, preached in over 200 churches. I came to Sanford, which is a Baptist school here in Birmingham, uh, to continue to study to be a minister and to play basketball. I met Melody. She was a junior and she sang and I preached and we were going to save the world. And, you know, I never told Melody, though, about my secret struggle. Um, one, I was I was afraid she wouldn't accept that. And I wanted her to accept me. And number two, the, the big reason, once it got serious and we were uh, tracking toward marriage, I thought, well, marriage is about to fix this problem anyway. Um, so why? Because marriage fixes all your problems, right? Exactly. <laughs> you know, we, we've since learned that marriage doesn't fix problems. It puts whatever problems you have on steroids. That's right. <laughs> yeah, so. Rapes all up. Yeah, so that's, that's kind of in a nutshell. Um, you know, to finish the story, 10 years into marriage, all things did blow up. The, the beach ball came crashing to the surface. Secrets were exposed. Uh, we worked things out for a while. I was totally focused on not uh, divorcing, staying married. I uh, got some help, but the help was really just to stay married. I didn't really mm-hmm. get to the root issues. And a year mm-hmm. later, after avoiding divorce, had another one night stand. And um, that ultimately led to our divorce in 2002. We were divorced for six years and um, then reconciled and remarried um, in 2008 after miraculously remarried. Yeah. So oh that's, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. First of all, crazy. And I have like 500 million questions to ask yeah. you about that. Sorry. Well, so <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm so what happened in those six years is yeah. like individually. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was a lot that happened individually because, you know, Trey and I talk a, a lot about, you know, our belief about ourselves, our belief about God and the world around us. And I think during during that time, you know, coming into marriage the, the first time was really trying to be these perfect people for each other. You know, I was in the back of my head. It was like Proverbs 31. I've got to be all things to all people. I may be the only Jesus that anybody meets. And so with that, I think comes a lot of pressure. And both of us were, were I think in our heart of hearts, that's what we wanted, you know, and But what we did is we kind of put each other on these pedestals, trying to be perfect for everybody. And so when everything happened and kind of blew up in 2000, it was, I remember going into a counselor's office going, wait, this doesn't happen to people that are like awesome moms and awesome wives. And, you know, and I make myself so readily available. And if he can't come home for dinner, I bring dinner there. And, you know, what I believe to be true, which my paradigm at that time was, Um, the pursuit of godliness plus making good choices equals a perfect life. And so I really thought life was going to be perfect as we knew it. And we were best friends. And so when all this happened, it was like, I don't even have, I don't even have tools to, to, to work with here. Like nothing in my life has prepared me 
to be able to handle messy and to be able to handle um, completely being undone. And I remember going into a counselor's office and, and saying that. I mean, didn't obviously know that I struggled with self-righteousness at that time. <laughs> but um, I just remember her saying... Well, when you're the perfect, perfect Proverbs 31 woman, why would you struggle? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Crazy. But, but we also know when we look at the superheroes and we see, you know, the one thread that they all have in common is they're all alone. Right. So, so anyway, but Batman and Robin, well, yeah, they kind of, but anyway, long story short, I just remember her saying, you know, did you think that the enemy was not hunting you, that he has come to steal, kill and destroy? And did you think that you would be, you know, unscathed by that? And honestly, I really (laughs) <laughs> yeah I I like, yes so I did you know? and um but that was kind of an aha moment for me it was like wait this does happen and you know I, I think I kind of looked at all the clean and neater uh, uh stories in scripture too I kind of shaped you know, moved away from the real messy stories. I like the, you know, the, the clean and neat. And so this was kind of a really honestly to, to, to answer your question, long story short is that God really began to undo a lot of our belief system and our, our paradigms during those um, traveling six years apart from one another. And obviously, you know, not completely apart because we had four kids. So, you you know, it's not like you divorce and you never see each other again. I mean, our kids kind of kept us tethered to one another on some levels, but you know, if, if people are thinking, oh, she must be so godly that she took her husband back. No, I prayed many nights that God would like you know, run him over with a truck or that he would catch some (laughs) disease. And like, cause I kept thinking if he's gone, if he's eliminated, I don't have to hurt like this anymore. Sure. Sure. It's not even a consideration anymore. You guys spoke about, you have four kids. So already, I mean, I know you have like three different business tracks that you do and you've got four kids and you've got a podcast. And when Trey spoke about you encountered pornography at such a young age. I know that there is this thing in society where, you know, dads speak about their sons and like, oh, he's got a playboy under his bed. And, you know, you know, he's growing up. It's just part of growing up. And how do you speak to those parents um, of those young boys that are just starting to explore yeah, well, first of all, I would say it's, you know, for anybody, because sometimes we do frame it as it's a guy's thing. And and I think what the stats are showing now is like 40% of internet pornography right now is female driven. So it's certainly not just a guy's issue, but but there is this thing in the culture and we've seen it more and more um, in this with the recent Me Too, hashtag Me Too, and, and just, you know, we're, we're just seeing so much of the fallout of the pornification of our of our society. And, and it's kind of like we've got two ditches. On the one hand, we're, we're aghast at what's going on. But then there is that pervasive thing on the other side that says, well, boys will be boys. Mm-hmm. And in and, and our ministry, you know, I, I really want to call men to more. And, I, and I, I, I don't want to allow myself to settle for that small story that, that there's not more than just 
being driven by hormones and that, you know, that, that I have no, no discipline in this area at all, that I'm just kind of following, you know, hormones wherever they happen to lead, because that's basically what we're saying when we're saying boys will be boys. And, and then it puts pressure in that whole uh, line of thinking that women are supposed to dress a certain way. And certainly there's a, there's, I'm not saying that we don't need to think about dress and modesty and being stumbling blocks and all of that. But I think that sometimes has been shifted that the, total responsibility is on young ladies and how they're supposed to dress to keep men from stumbling because you know how men are wired. They're just, you know, they can't help themselves. There's there's helpless to their hormones. They can't help it. And that's what I want to challenge is that, Hey, no guys, we are, God has called us uh, to more. Um, He's calling us into this bigger story and that we are more than just a collection of hormones. Um, That um, that that would be the the first thing. And so in any parent that's just seeing that is almost a rite of passage or coming of age with the playboys or whatever. I think we have to address the the perversion because uh, our enemy, Satan, is a counterfeiter. He's never invented anything in his life. All he can do is counterfeit. Mm-hmm. And, and so he's taken this beautiful gift, uh, a precious gift of sex and sexuality that God has given us. Uh, and I would even go so far as to say it is in, in that gift of sex, um, the relationship that God desires to have with us is somehow mysteriously personified in that. And there's a, there's a big mystery there that, mm-hmm. that Paul talks about. It's beautiful. It's sacred. And, and I believe it even draw it shows what, how we as image bearers and, and connecting with one another and just this beautiful picture of how he wants to be connected with us. Well, that if that is all true, and I believe it is, I don't believe there's anything else that Satan would want to attack and pervert than that beautiful picture of sex and sexuality. And he's done that. We see um, just this outrageous epidemic of just anything and everything goes right now. And, and, and it's not just pornography, but just all the different fetishes and all the things. It's just anything goes. And, and with the Internet, you know, just with a few clicks, whatever we want to search and, and dream up. What would you say to young kids, young teens, as an alternative, you know, their friends are looking up porn. It's just a thing that people do. And, you know, those fetishes and things are accepted. Well, and I think what's the alternative for them as a yeah, kid I, of a young age? Real quick. I think there's a normalization yeah. that happens because of our, the availability of connection uh, on, on tools like, like the internet. So like there's a tiny little, little group of people over here doing this thing but it's portrayed as if everyone's doing it. So it turns that sense of, of fear of missing out that ki- kids and even adults have, and it just like turns the volume up on it in a way that uh, I don't think we fully understand yet. Yeah. Well, and if I can add something too, we, we get to go in and we talk to a lot of youth groups and college and college kids. One of the things that I have found is when we, when it's portrayed in the Christian, Christian world, and I'm not saying this, you know, all the way around, but when it's portrayed that it's bad, when it's never talked about, and then the world, yeah, healthy sexuality. And then when the world is, is talking about it all the time, there's this space that, that they feel like they're, they're kind of stuck. And so what we have found is that when we can actually I mean, one of the first things that I say to young people or even our kids talk is like validating the struggle. I can't imagine 
what it must be like living in this day and age where it is, I mean, you can't get a break from it. At least we could get a break from social media and things like that because we didn't have it. They can't get away from it. And so to validate the struggle is real, you know, that, that mm-hmm. pornography and just sex and sexuality, it's, it's down their throats all the time. So to validate that it's real, to start talking about the struggle, but then to also, like what Trey said, small story, big story, to elevate that sex is good and it's powerful and it's a gift. And it's really an act of worship that we get to experience within the context of a covenant marriage. Now it's like, now they now they tangibly can get their head around something and they also can look forward to something instead of, you know, I think the curiosity path really ramps up when we don't talk about it, you know? And so when we're constantly having these conversations with their kids and we're validating and, and recognizing that it's a struggle, but also wanting to, to share that it's, that it is something um, that that's a gift and that it is the big story that they can step into. I think it, it then kind of normalizes what they're going through in a, in a very healthy way. Well, part of what we, we do is this on college campus a good bit, kind of your story. It's like, okay, they're struggling. So what's the alternative right. your, your original question? And I think we have to elevate the beauty because if we, as the, as the church buy into what sex really is, and, and we basically by not defining it, take the world's definition of sex, right. which is really just all about the orgasm or positions. And so, and positions. Yeah. so when that's, when that's the pinnacle, okay. And that's all we're talking about. Then it basically comes across as, wait, why can't, why does the world get to have all the fun? And we don't, right. you know? And so you look at the cover of Cosmo every month It's basically the rehashing of the same article, you know, 15 best sex tips and, you know, positions and best, you know, 15 ways of the best sex ever. It's just the same article rehashed maybe with a new headline, you know, basically every month, because that's the highlight. That is the, uh, the pinnacle of the culture's view of sex, Mm -hmm. but that's not what sex is all about. Um, It's, it's a deeper connection. It is the Hebrew term yada. And it's that mystery that I talked about where God um, wants to connect with us and draw us into uh, this deeper union. And it's really in that context, it's just the physical union is a celebration mm-hmm. of the physical, uh, of the, excuse me, the spiritual, the emotional connection. Mm-hmm. And, and for Melody and I, the first six, uh, excuse me, 11 years of our marriage, we didn't know any of that. We didn't know how to handle conflict. We didn't know how to resolve conflict. We just eventually would start having sex again and assume that we had resolved everything. We didn't know how to really be connected emotionally at a deep level. One, I didn't really know who I was emotionally, so I I needed to grow up. And a lot of the six years of divorce really was a maturing process as I began to grow, go into my broken areas. And and God really began to, to meet me in some of those places, which then I could come in my true authentic self and then approach her. And then our divorce years, that was really an parenting thing. You know, I would, my whole life had avoided conflict. Well, now I could, I could step toward potential conflict because I knew who I was because before my identity was, I just needed to keep the peace and I can't hold on to myself if there's conflict. Mm -hmm. And so, and all that's kind of around that, but I think it's all related that we basically have to elevate what sex is. And when, I think when young people get a picture of this beautiful gift, it becomes very clear why there's parameters around it. Because if you're sharing this gift with everybody, it's no longer a sacred gift, you know? And so that, because when we, when it's just all about what the world's definition, it's like, wait, why are there boundaries? 
you know, everybody else is enjoying it. Why can't we? Right. And so um, I think that, and, and unfortunately the church is not talking enough about healthy sexuality. You know, we've right. created a vacuum. And when we do talk about it, it's often on the defensive and what we're against rather than, and I think that's the big problem is that we've let culture basically dictate, d- dictate the terms of the conversation mm-hmm. rather than us say, remind, this is a gift of God. This is his invention, right? Um, and all the enemy's doing is counterfeiting that. Yeah. And when the church stands up and says, you know, um, what everything that they're against, then it just feels more and more shamey. Like, oh, I'm ugly. I'm wrong. I stink. <laughs> right. Well, that, and that's the thing. When all we've heard as young people is don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And and if, and if, as, if a parent is listening, if you're highest goal for your kids when it comes to their um, their sexuality is to get to the altar as a virgin you got to really change I mean we need to elevate our goals as far as our children's sexuality and unfortunately I think over the last probably 25 30 years that has been our biggest goal as mm-hmm. long as we can get to them to the altar as a virgin and so what happens is we use a lot of shaming techniques in our mm-hmm. parenting you know, we don't talk about it because, well, well, we may we may give them some ideas if we talk about it. So let's just keep yeah. it hush hush. And, you know, and so, they don't have 20,000 more ideas than you do anyway. Uh, exactly. <laughs> and so, I think we've just got to be bold to step into those areas yeah. um, as Christian parents. And um, because it, they're getting the message, the world's view of sex. How much are we countering that with a biblical worldview right. of sex and sexuality? If we're not talking about it, then how can we expect them to, to turn out with a biblical worldview? We'll get back to our conversation with Trey and Melody Lovern in just a minute. But first, we have something we want to tell you about. Yeah, uh, we talk about this all the time, how important having a community around you really is. It's important for men to have a group of men. It's important for women to have a group of women. And it is essential for couples to have a community of other couples around them. So join us each Thursday evening at eight o'clock central for the marriage masterclass, where we break down those tough conversations that couples really need to have to build more intimacy and connection in your marriage. And we'll give you the skills that you need to come out on the other end, even closer than ever. And get this, we only offer this inside of our Facebook community. So check it out at legendarymarriage.com slash community. Yeah, come join our tribe of couples who refuse to settle for an ordinary marriage and be a part of the conversation over on our Facebook group. Now back to the rest of our conversation with Trey and Melody Lovern. My junk was forced to the surface and I had to deal with it. Right. As Melody was sharing hers a little bit later because... Her self righteousness served her pretty well. It was pretty. I, I couldn't. I couldn't make mine okay, right? And that really. Let me just a side note. Our getting back together. Melody is the courageous one. I mean, for it was easy for me to be forced to see my junk because it was pretty apparent. But for her to have the courage to look at her self righteousness and all the the other sins of um, self-sufficiency and all the things more in the elder brother spectrum, yeah. you know, those things are harder to call out and it's much easier to hide. And so that's really the secret of us coming back together. But for me, um, what I realized is and back to what I was saying about needing Melody's approval. Um, I think the, the question, the heart of most men is, do I have what it takes? Mm-hmm. Ideally, 
our fathers are the one who help us answer that question. And for most of us, we never got that because our dads didn't ever have that question answered. So to give them grace and a pass, nobody ever, I think masculinity is bestowed and, and we, we are masked, we're drawn into the fellowship of men from other men. But if men don't know who they are, then they don't have it to draw us into that. And so, um, so for me, there was this big gaping wound. Do I have what it takes? And so for me, the validation of a woman, Melody's approval was my idol. Um, my idol was peace rather than doing the right thing. And so um, I would just, you know, again, subconsciously tiptoe around because I didn't know how to hang on to myself when there was conflict. And so I knew I, I, I needed also a relationship with Melody, not just one one. I needed this relationship to complete me. And so after the divorce, when I lost it, it was a, it was that undoing where I had to come, you know, who am I now apart? I'm no longer married, you know, now also, I mean, I'm really, I'm stripped of everything. My ministry identity, you know, the public humiliation of everything coming to the surface, all of that has been stripped. And, and so I am undone and really having, yeah, having to face who am I apart from all these things that I was doing? Cause all that's gone now. Well, and really that, I think that was really what both of us kind of, you know, that not, not being married and, and having to both take long looks in the mirror, you know, even though inevitably sexual brokenness is what led to our divorce. I think that was God lovingly taking us on a path of finding our significance and who we are and whose we are instead of what we do. Cause both of us just knew you know, very much what the performance treadmill looked like wanted. And even in our heart of hearts, I think we had such a desire to please the Lord, but God really stripping a lot of those things and taking those away and saying, no, your significance and who is in who you are and not what you do. And so, so some of that, I think coming back together, it, it was recognizing, I mean, every morning when my feet hit the floor, still it's, I'm a beloved daughter. You know, I, I, want to walk in obedience because of things like Zephaniah, you know, three, that the Lord is smiling and because of what he's done for me, not, I do all these things to get significance, or I do all these things to make the Lord smile. And, and so still to me every day, it's like, okay, you know, I am a wife, I am a mom, but that's not where my significance comes from, you know? And so it's still, you know, it's still one of those things where, especially in this time of year where everything's about like, you know, Christmas presents and, you know, decorating your house and all that. It's just like, no, you know, it's okay being messy. It's okay, you know, but, you know, it's still having to remind myself of those things. Well, just remembering my journal, I I, I started journaling from in high school. And it's funny as a part of my mass, a side note, I would journal in code because (laughs) I was part of my own, part of my own pride was, Hey, one of these days, um, somebody may be reading my journals, you know, and they may want to even publish my journal. So I can't be that open and honest. And plus when you're hiding, you can't, you know, you can't put it out there because that could be a way to, to out yourself. But anyway, in my journals after the divorce, you know, about over the, I guess the first three, three and a half years, God kept bringing me back to this question, Trey, am I enough? And sometimes I could answer that in the affirmative. And sometimes, no, I need the affirmation of a woman. But eventually I got to the place where I realized, Lord, I believe I've been wired for marriage. I want companionship. But if your path for me is, is singleness the rest of my life, I now know you're enough. 
and you, you have shown that. And I knew how to bring him into those broken, lonely places. Um, and so I went from the first 11 years, I needed a relationship. Mm -hmm. And so in that neediness, I was sucking the very life out of Melody, demanding that she help me answer the question, do I have what it takes as a man? And bless her heart, she tried. Um, she was trying to help me answer that question, but she's not wired. No woman is wired and has the capacity to help us answer a question that only our creator can help us answer. Um, and so after the divorce, when all that was stripped away, I now had to realize that God was enough. And that, and when I finally yielded to that, I no longer needed a relationship. I still wanted one, but I no longer needed one. And that was a huge shift for me. Um, And because I didn't need her approval, I could now go toe to toe, like I was saying, Mm -hmm. because I, and I could, I could show up in my authentic strength and not just, okay, what is she expecting me to be? Let me be that, (laughs) you know, that's what I've done most of my life. And, and I think when your approval addict it is at the foundation of that is really an, an insecurity of who I am. And the more we, we really begin to find our, our significance in Christ, the opinions of others begin to fall away. That's right. And we can begin to confidently show up in our true strength, uh, realizing that, you know what, it's not, we're not called to avoid conflict. And that was a revelation for me. Yeah, we, uh, we both have some great fights when we both show up in our, <laughs> that's in our, right. Right? right? Yeah. <laughs> so that right. means we're not going to fight. You want to talk about our legendary fights on the Legendary Marriage Podcast? <laughs> there you go. Bring it. Why? Are you guys feeling feisty this morning? Always. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, Melly, I want to ask a question to you. When you had found out, that Trey was kind of had this secret, the beach ball, the the porn addiction that he was hiding and hiding and hiding. Um, what were the thoughts that went through your mind about you as a woman, as a wife? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll share a couple of them. My first thought in my ignorance, because I didn't, you know, I was, I was one of three girls growing up. So I wasn't around, I didn't have brothers or, you know, anything like that. And so one of my first thought was when I heard the word, you know, sexual addiction or pornography, I remember, I I literally said this to Trey, I'm kind of embarrassed that I said this, but I said, why couldn't you go, why couldn't you choose food? You know, I could love you at 400 pounds, you know, like he went to the supermarket and, you know, pulled his addiction off the shelf. But I just remember you know, if it was food or even if it was like drugs or alcohol or something like that, it doesn't impact me, you know, like, like sexual um, addiction does. And so, you know, it, it affects your self-esteem because there was this part of me that I was so proud of being a wife and a mother and, you know, trying to be all these things for him, but, you know, porn, pornography and and sexual addiction, you can't, as, as it relates to any addiction, you never fill up completely. And so there was this part of, you know, I think the enemy would, would say, you know, if you were, if you were prettier, if you were skinnier, if you had sex more, you know, then this wouldn't be the issue that you're dealing with right now. So it really does impact and cut impact and cut to the core of a woman's self-esteem. And so, 
Um, so really for me, it was working with a counselor to really begin to understand. And, and the more I understood, the more objective I could be about this process instead of it feeling so subjective and so personal. Um, and so some things that I'll share with ladies now is, you know, if your husband was married to somebody else, she would be walking through this and re- just recognizing that we all come into marriage with baggage and brokenness and it looks different. You know, my self, my self sufficiency may not impact him like sexual brokenness does, but nevertheless, sin is sin. And so part of this process was just me learning and really walking with a counselor, but it does impact that and it it, it impacts sex and, and so many things. So I know that we were talking about the beauty of sex and, and, and all that and intimacy a while, you know, a few minutes ago, but for that woman whose husband is struggling with pornography right now, that is a hard place for her to enter in because, you know, that thought is, is he acting out with me or is he thinking about somebody else when he's with me? And so I just want to validate those are some hurdles and those are some things that a woman really has to, to work through to get to those places and, and step into to the ring of intimacy with her husband. Yeah, I'm just wondering, you said you spoke to the impact, like you said, the the first years you were married, you felt like, for lack of a better term, like you checked all the boxes, you were the Proverbs wife, and you know, you had it all going on. Um, But when the news came that you were like, wow, this is totally not what I thought it was looking back to those early years of your marriage, what was the impact that sexual addiction had on your marriage, even though you didn't even know it? Definitely just, you know, both of us being virgins when we got married, you know, there's this innocence and there's this purity that I felt like, you know, we had that we got to experience all that together, stepping into, you know, everything that we went through, just, I I felt like a loss of innocence. I felt like, always feeling like there's other women in the room. Um, When we go out to dinner, you know, is he with me or is he more concerned about looking at everybody else? You know, just always feeling, and I don't know that I could have voiced that, but just always feeling that sense of comparison. And so I've just got to continue to ramp it up. I've got to look good. And again, I don't know that I could have put words to that at that time, but just needing to continue to try to be you know, number one in his life. Yeah. And I think from a physical standpoint, our paradigm of marriage, you know, we've talked a lot about this performance paradigm and there's never enough performance, you know, and, and even, and I think as we're talking about marriage, we were performers. And when you're in close relationship though, with someone like a spouse, you know, you're living in very close proximity, it's harder to hide. Well, when your paradigm is you're supposed to have it together and there's somebody living very close to you, as a spouse, they're going to see that you don't have it together. And and we now believe that marriage is difficult and it's difficult by design, that God is actually using our spouse as a part of our sanctification right. process. And, and in that close community where he does change us, that they become almost like a, a, a spotlight to those things. And now, when I didn't understand that, that would just make me mad. Mm-hmm. And it would just, it would be her fault and it would lead us to our own fortified bunkers. Um, now that we understand that and we, I think, have a better understanding of the gospel, that mm-hmm. it's okay to be broken and we can now lean into that and we're broken in different ways. But now when she's revealing things to me, I don't have to be defensive. Mm-hmm. I don't have, not that I'm not at times, but I can hopefully quickly, you know, see that, Hey, this is not her trying to, 
you know, do this tit for tat thing. And that, and that's a big thing. It's getting rid of the tit for tat scorecard Scorecard, because we were, we were in a tit for tat marriage, you know, and that's so easy in marriage because we're broken in different ways. And when we're trying to appear better than we are, we want to, we want to minimize our stuff and we want to maximize our spouse's stuff. And that's where I think so many Christian couples find themselves. And if we can just realize, Hey, we both have stuff. It's different. And it's, there's not a hierarchy for sin and we can now be the chief repenter in the relationship rather than trying to outperform our spouse in the relationship. And when we're both fighting to be the chief repenter, that can lead to some pretty deep intimacy very quickly. I was just marveling at the courage that it took both of you to just go on the journey of self-discovery in that six year time where I feel like a lot of people would white knuckle it through and say, you know, well, it was their fault or whatever. And um, this porn thing, I'm just going to put a bunch of, um, you know, restrictions on my computer. I'm going to join the accountability. What's that app called? The it's accountability just, it's more thing. Beach balls. It's yeah. more beach balls. It's just more beach balls. Yeah, I feel like I feel like a lot of people, when faced with an, any kind of addiction, the the uh, thought is to go white knuckle it, and I'm going to do my best, and that's all we can ask for. And what words of truth or encouragement would you have to those people that are just going to try to white knuckle it through? Yeah, well, the way we the way we frame what you just said is think about it like a tree, and we've got mm-hmm. all these branches of behavior, and they're pretty obvious, okay? Um, and we're trying to get rid of those branches, and so we try to find a better saw, a sharper saw, mm-hmm. to get rid of those branches. And for most of the men, you know, who are listening. Um, Probably you've had periods, seven, eight, nine months, maybe, where the, the branch was gone. Maybe it was masturbation. Maybe it was pornography. Maybe it was strip clubs or whatever that you know, thing you're trying to overcome. But what happens when we're not dealing with the root issues, the branches grow back. Right. And so to, to answer the question, what we've what we learned during those six years of divorce and, and our own undoing is that God stripped us to the core, where we were forced to really get to our basic beliefs. What do we believe to be true about God? Do we really believe this gospel, that he loves us as we are? And if it's true, then we can now be honest about these root issues. Because for me, I didn't have a theology. I needed God, and my God that I was serving was over there in the corner with crossed arms, you know, seeing if I was checking all the boxes. I didn't have a theology that he wanted to meet me in my brokenness. I didn't have a theology that he wanted to join me in my struggle with pornography. Mm -hmm. I thought he was pissed at me for struggling, you know, because it was all about the outward behavior. But when I realized it was more about the relationship and in Christ, there's nothing I could do to lose the relationship. I couldn't be bad enough to lose the relationship. That's, that's a scandal. And grace is a scandal. Um, and so that's that's what allowed us to go into those deeper root issues of self-discovery. And now what happens with that is we show up with the capacity for empathy. Mm-hmm. And I think any relationship, any marriage, it's got to have empathy or there's going to be no intimacy. Because and, and it's knowing our own brokenness that mine may show up different than Melody's, but I know what it's like when willpower is not fixing something. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and so that's that's the the big the big journey there of self discovery. Yeah. Well, and I want to add practically because I'm always thinking about that woman or that husband that's listening, and they're like, "Oh, God wants to join me in my struggle, and it's just about grace, and we're good." No, <laughs> it is also about you know, for that guy who's struggling or woman who's struggling, it is about putting together healthy practices that will help you reset the, you know, the pathways in your brain that will help rebuild trust. You know, I always tell women, you know, you want to have, or men, you want to have the accountability software, things like covenant eyes and to help you dress for success per se, for lack of a better word. But if you're trusting your husband only because everything's on lockdown, then I mean, really, I'm not trusting my husband, I'm trusting the software. And so, so, you know, we're not trying to say this plus this equals this, but it is kind of both. And it is trusting the father. It is working on identity. It is rebuilding intimacy within the context of your marriage. It is having accountability. You know, if your wife is every couple of days having to ask you, are you struggling or where are you and what have you been doing? Or what that is, you know, now she's having, now you're basically in a parent child relationship, which is not what she wants, nor what the husband wants. And so just what does it, you know, maybe sitting down and, and putting on a piece of paper, what does it look like? You know, if I'm not married, because, you know, Trey used to always say, if your recovery changes one iota, you know, whether she stays or whether she leaves, you've got to ask yourself, you know, why are you doing what you're doing? And if it, and at the end of the day, if your recovery is for yourself, you're going to stay married, you know, because you're doing it for the right reasons. But so it really is that combination of, you know, bringing the father in, really experiencing grace that he's in pursuit of you, regardless of the choices that you've made. But also, what are the things that's really going to help me um, you know, be successful, you know, that whole, what is it? He who plans to fail, fails to plan, or maybe it's vice versa, (laughs) but, you know, having some things in, in place that, that are, are for success that, you know, she can begin to rebuild trust because of some of the things that you're doing. It's not just checking off the boxes. So practically that's kind of what that looks like. Uh, What I love about your story is that it, it, the, the core message of it can be done is worth it. Yeah. Married, divorced for six years, and you found your way back to each other. It, it can be done if our listeners get nothing else. And I think there's lots, there's lots else to get. It can be done no matter what. You said you don't want to be the, the nag that's like, have you, have you stumbled today? Have you, you know, how's the covenant eyes thing? You know, you don't want to be constantly checking in. Like, what does that look like now in your relationship? Is it still a struggle or is it just um, a part of that you've healed through and it's in the past? Well, I mean, as far as uh, the times in my, in my background where I have had a slip or even a relapse or those points in time where I said, finally, I'm over this. Um, I'm good. Yeah. yeah. I, when I, when I get to that place and, and I think for a lot of people in recovery, we want to give ourselves permission maybe for a season of recovery. Cause frankly, my flesh does not want to be in recovery. Yeah. I do not want to refer to myself as a recovering sex addict. I want to that to be way, way, way in my past, sure. which is why I need to constantly be in that. I'll be leading a group tonight, our Monday night group. And I will introduce myself as a beloved son who struggles with sex addiction. Um, and so, 
So I know for me, red sirens going off when I get complacent um, about my own recovery, Mm -hmm. because um, one, I know where that has taken me. Uh, And it would be great to know I've done all these years work of recovery. And it's going to if I do start slipping, it's going to be a slow slip. No, I can I could be right back uh, to some of those places, Uh, just knowing uh, the nature of this. And so but the beauty is now being able to experience community. And I won't speak to formality, but I think her knowing that she's not the policewoman because it's not just the two of us who know about this. She knows that I'm walking with men in authentic community where I'm known. And the more we're known, that's sex addiction is an intimacy disorder. What cures it is not isolation, certainly. Right. Uh, you can't cure it in isolation. It's got to be healthy community, safe community, yeah. but, a place where, but a place where I can say, guys, this is me. And instead of having guys running for the exits, they're actually running toward me. Mm-hmm. Because when, that, when I'm experiencing that, with fellow men who are also broken, then I know that, wow, maybe there is some truth to my heavenly father pursuing me and loving me where I am. Well, and the, I think just to add to that too, you know, cause when Trey and I were, were starting to date and even t- thinking about remarriage, I was like, I'm not going back to that. You know, like I'm, I'm walking in freedom. I'm not going back to what are you doing and who are you going with and and even feeling like that police woman again. I was like, I'm not going to be in a relationship where I have to do that. And so, so much of this process was just watching Trey, observing the things that he was doing. You know, when he went out of town because he was in sales when we got married, you know, he would tell me, this is where I am. And this is, you know, this is my plan. Or what It wasn't like, what are you doing? And who are you talking to? And what's, you know, I was not doing that. And so there was a lot of trust rebuilt just because of the work that he was doing. And so for that woman who's listening, I want to remind, I want to remind you that, that recovery is not just Trey getting better and having community and all that. It's Melody continuing to have community and heal because a coupleship is only as good as two individuals who are working on their own stuff. And if he had gotten better and had done all these things and I had not done healing, we still would have been very imbalanced coming back into relationship with each other. And so that's the work that I want to you know, encourage women that regardless of where their husbands are or what they're doing, they are worth sitting down with a counselor and walking with women in community saying, this is what I'm struggling with and this is how I'm hurting. And I want to trust my husband, but I don't know what it looks like. And just bringing that out and really letting women, you know, love them where they are. Yeah. What would either of you say to somebody who says, hey, my spouse wants us to go to counseling, but I'm kind of, eh. Yeah, I would, I would first ask, um, what are you afraid of? And, and usually it's because we've got a mask mm-hmm. and we're afraid of facing anything that's less than perfect. And I would just, you know, just really challenge um, the, that basic premise. Mm-hmm. Um, we used to think like a lot of people do, if you're going to therapy, that means something's wrong. Well, we today, we, we kind of uh, cock an eyebrow and wonder about people who aren't in therapy. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> you know, that's... Uh, that's where we're more suspicious yeah. because we're all got our stuff and, and, yeah. and we can't self-diagnose. We can't just like we couldn't do surgery on ourselves because what happens, we're only, we're not going to cut deep enough. Right. You know, it reminds me of uh, the voyage. Uh, yeah. Don Treader, when Eustace has the dragon skin, he tries to remove it himself 
and he does it, but he doesn't get it all. And finally, Aslan comes and removes the skin. And later, Eustace, in describing that experience, he said, I thought I was going to die. Yeah. He cut so deep. Uh, and that's really the undoing process in all of us. So I think if we're fighting going to therapy or any any other points of this journey of self-discovery, um, there's got to be a crucifixion before there can be a resurrection. Right. Yeah. And I think that's really what we're avoiding. We're yeah. avoiding the death. Uh, and, 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 and that's because we're trying to prop up some semblance of what we think life is supposed to look like from our own experience Whatever you're trying to to put out there, it's not going to be near as good as the beautiful big story that God is writing. Right. Uh, we can't manage a reputation. And, and so I would just say, you know, as scary as it might be, get rid of the formulas and just let God do his work of undoing so that he can bring about uh, the restoration and the redoing that he wants to do. That's our story. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. no formula to it. Some people want to hear our story. Okay. They were, they were divorced for six years. We're at five and a half years. So maybe there's, <laughs> you know, every story is different. Yeah. We're gonna, we always say we'll that. plug like, into the Trey and Melody formula and it shall work. Yeah. We always try that. Like formulas don't work when it comes to people. Formulas blow up in your face. Recipe. Right. Like these are the things that are involved. Figure out how you want to make it. Great. Right. That's right. Yeah, in scripture that God never shows up the same way twice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because he knows we we want the formula more than we want him, honestly. Well, your story is just an inspiration to to us and so many others. And we love what you guys are up to. So why don't you share a little bit about your show and, and your ministry so that our folks know how to find you and what you're about. Absolutely. Well, we have a ministry called Undone Redone. Uh, they can find us at UndoneRedone.com. We also, some people have heard of our recovery initiative, which is Route 1520. Uh, the 1520 comes from Luke 15, the parable of the two sons. Uh, there in Luke, the elder brother and the prodigal. Um, we have a preventative piece called My Secure Family, which is helping parents have some of these healthy conversations. A lot we're talking about lockdown devices mm-hmm. and protecting the next generation. Um, our story um, this past year was a part of a um, nationally released film called The Heart of Man. I encourage any of your listeners. It is a a lot of the themes that we're talking about is such a beautifully uh, done uh, film. We didn't do the film. We just mm-hmm. happened to be a part of the film, but talks about shame and connecting God coming into our brokenness, uh, all of those things. Um, I think it would create some really healthy dialogue uh, around um, the coupleship. If, if you see well, that probably for ages 12 and up. Too. Yeah. 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 Um, and that, um, I guess that's all the way to find us. They can re- you know, get us uh, there on the website, um, connect with us there. Uh, and then our podcast, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, mm-hmm. uh, Spotify now. So anywhere, just search Undone Redone and think uh, this week's our 138th episode or something like that. Woohoo! (laughs) That's a big deal, y'all. That is a really big deal. Well, thank you guys so much for being on the show. Awesome. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. So for Trey and Melody, pornography and sex addiction was the symptom of a missing element of real intimacy in their relationship. So now I don't know what the symptom is in your relationship because the fact of the matter is the natural drift is toward isolation. 
And isolation is the enemy in a marriage. In a legendary marriage. In every marriage. The drift is trying to pull you apart to say, no, you have everything you need on your own. You don't need that other person. They're going to betray you, break the trust. They're, they're not worthy. You're not worthy of them. Whatever it is. So isolation so, is the enemy. So turn to porn case. where there's no risk involved. Yeah. It's not going to hurt you. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not going to say it's no to you. It's a victimless crime, right? Yeah. This, this, is, this is the story that, that is told. It's a victimless crime. And straight up, you know, uh, like we said at the top of the show, don't know where you stand on, on the topic, the issue of pornography. Um, have a conversation about it with your spouse because not only is this something that is a factor weighing into your relationship. But if you have kids, they're learning from what they see. And it doesn't mean they're going to porn dot triple X or whatever the thing is. It means it's everywhere. Trey pointed to this. Like there is a, I love the word pornification mm-hmm. <laughs> that has happened and happening in our country, in the world. It is everywhere. Everyone is talking about what it's supposed to be, what sex is supposed to be like, mm-hmm. and how to do it right, and how to do it well, and how to do it better, and five ways, and 15 things, and everything else. So get in the conversation with your spouse, with your kids, because if you don't, some know that somebody else is. Now, that said, next week we are going to be talking about what a healthy whole sex life looks like in the context of a committed relationship like a marriage with our special guest, Susan Ackers. Yes, Susan Ackers is a sex coach and she is going to talk with us about our erotic blueprints. Whoa. So every couple, you know how you have your five lung languages? Well, she talks through your five erotic blueprints and how you may be speaking a different blueprint and how to get on the same page. It's really fascinating stuff. We had a great conversation with her. All right. So let's listen into a little bit of our conversation with Susan Ackers. And as I was getting to know myself, I realized that there were things that I wanted and desires that I had, and I was holding back in the realm of sex. And I realized that there were secrets that I was keeping to myself and I wasn't communicating to my husband. And as time went on, I realized if I don't actually have the courage to go there with him and talk to him what I'm wanting and that our marriage might not last. It, it might break up. And that wasn't acceptable to me. You are definitely going to want to listen to this one because Susan actually coaches Danielle and I through our erotic love language blueprints. Oh, baby. And it, it I'm not going to say it gets awkward, but it's interesting. <laughs> it gets a little heated. Yes. So we'll join you next week for the rest of our conversation with Susan Ackers. Go ahead and join the conversation in our Facebook group this week where we'll be talking about porn and lots of other stuff. Check it out, legendarymarriage.com slash community. You can find the show notes and this episode over at our website at www.legendarymarriage.com slash 062. Don't forget to jump on iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review the show so we know how we're doing and other couples can find us. Have a great week. 
Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Legendary Marriage Podcast. We're thrilled to have you with us on the adventure. This is Danielle and Justin reminding you, don't settle for an ordinary marriage. Make yours legendary. Legendary.